Hi there. I'm so excited to welcome you to the Arthritis Life Podcast, where we share arthritis life stories and tips for thriving with autoimmune arthritis. My name is Cheryl Crow, and I am passionate about helping people navigate real life with arthritis beyond joint pain. I've been living with rheumatoid arthritis for 20 years, and I'm also a mom, occupational therapist, video creator, support group leader, and I created the Room to Thrive self-management program. I am so excited to help you live a more empowered life with arthritis. We're going to cover everything from kitchen life hacks to navigating the healthcare system to coping with friends who just don't get it. Seriously, no topic is going to be off limits on this podcast. My interviewees and I share our honest stories of how chronic illness affects our lives. This includes discussions about mental health, sex, shame, pregnancy, body image, advocacy, self-acceptance, and so much more. You'll hear stories from all ends of the spectrum, from a person who's living in Medicaid remission from psoriatic arthritis to somebody living with severe mobility restrictions and severe pain from rheumatoid arthritis. You'll hear how people manage their conditions in different ways, like medications, mindfulness, movement, social support, work accommodations, and so much more. You'll also hear from rheumatology experts who just get it. We'll dive deep into the science behind chronic pain and what's the latest evidence for lifestyle changes that can help you thrive with arthritis, including exercise, sleep, nutrition, stress reduction, and more. This is your chance to sit down and chat with a friend who's been there. Ready to figure out how to manage your arthritis life? Let's get started. I'm so excited to have a whole panel of speakers today. It's a little bit of a family reunion for those of us who were on the original um, What's It Like to Be on Methotrexate panel way back in 2020. So um, now we are doing a three-year follow-up check-in to see what has changed in our treatment plans, our diagnoses, our lives. Some of us have created humans in that time, (laughs) aka had babies. Some of us have moved. Some of us have been on multiple medications, so I'm so excited. I think we'll just start with introductions slash reintroductions. Can you share, starting with Jenny, where do you live and what is your relationship to arthritis? Yes. So my name is Jenny. I'm living in Iowa and I actually have been living with psoriasis since I was 12 and with psoriasis, um, some people who have that go on to develop psoriatic arthritis. So in 2019, I was diagnosed with psoriatic arthritis. Okay, great. Thank you. Um, what about Ananthi? So I'm Ananthi. I am, you can probably tell by the accent that I am living in the UK. Um, so um, I live a few miles out of London is probably the best way to describe it in a little market town, quite cute. Um, so I have rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, I got diagnosed in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic just to add the experience. Wow. Yeah. You were freshly diagnosed when we first talked. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming back. Uh, What about Paulina? Yeah. What about Paulina? Hello. So I'm Paulina. I live currently in Munich, but I am from Poland, raised in England, a little story in there. Um, And I was diagnosed in 2014. So it's been a little while that I've been on it. And since then, yeah, it's been a a bit of a journey. Yeah. With rheumatoid arthritis, right? With rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Thank you for being here. Also, what about Allie? 
Hey, so I'm Allie. Um, so I actually don't have a home right now. Um, I'm currently a nomad because I'm traveling with my boyfriend, which is why I'm recording this in a car right now because I'm in a new place every other week. Um, but um, so I don't have a place right now. Um, but I my home base is New York, North Carolina. So we're going back and forth from there. And I'm in the city a lot. But I got diagnosed with juvenile idiopathic arthritis at the age of 15. Um, so I do have rheumatoid arthritis now and I'm 30. So I've had it for 15 years. Wow. Yeah, you're you're at the exact halfway point like I am because I'm 20. Or I got it. I'm not 20. I got it when I was 21. And I'm 42. Sorry. <laughs> so there is something something really interesting about being halfway through your life with the with the condition that you have. Um, and so I think it would just be helpful to for each person to check in about, you know, your treatment story or your treatment saga, as it often is, you know, what treatments have you been on um, in the last couple of years, including methotrexate, or if you're not on methotrexate anymore, why not? And what, you know, feel free to just share any highlights and lowlights of your treatment journey. Uh, Jenny, you can go ahead and start. Awesome. So in when we did this in 2020, I actually wasn't on methotrexate yet. So that was kind of like, I was the one in the panel that was afraid of starting it. And so it really helped me to be in it to be like hearing from all of you guys who were like, veterans with this. And I was like, okay, actually, like seeing people that take it. And you know, it's not something that you see a lot day to day, like, I don't really know anyone in my life that has psoriatic arthritis day to day it's like mainly my internet community is who I know that has it so that was a major turning point for me I was so afraid of starting it that I put it off for longer than I wish I would have at the beginning it didn't end up um, hurting anything but it just gave my joints more time to you know wreak havoc on my body and stuff so um, in 2020 height of the pandemic I did start um, methotrexate and that was also something that was really hard at the time because I was like okay this goes against everything that I think is like makes sense in my brain because I'm like okay there's this new virus out I don't know anything about it nobody knows anything about it and you're telling me that you want my immune system to be knocked out while this thing is going around like it just made no sense to me um but then I have a great rheumatologist who talked me through it and kind of like seriously sat with me for one appointment for like a full hour and talked me through it, told me that she's also dealing with like rheumatoid arthritis. And it, that was really helpful to hear from too. So finally, I started methotrexate. Then that ended up really not being enough. Um, methotrexate for me was kind of like a really delicate balance because I did end up having a lot of fatigue from it and some headaches and things. So not going at too high of a dose to make those symptoms worse, but then also a high enough dose to help my joints out. So um, they decided to add in Humira once like we found out the good dose for methotrexate just to give me a little extra boost, we added Humira. Um, that worked great for a little while. I started to get back to being able to jog. And like one of the things at the beginning when we first did that meeting, I was like barely walking in the morning. Like it was so bad that I was like, I don't know, limping and, and the first four hours of my day was just horrible. So um, that changed my life doing the methotrexate and Humira. And I credit that a lot to this, this like panel originally when we did that, because it was really hard for me to start that. So wow. um, yeah. then we did, I kind of did the methotrexate and Humira for a while and then kind of fast forward into, uh, I think it was 
2022, end of 2021, I started planning for like having a baby and methotrexate you can't be on when you're trying for a baby. It's fine to go off of it and get pregnant. It doesn't have any like negative effects after that, but you cannot be taking it while you're, or like while you're pregnant. So um, I did stop it. I think I stopped it in like January of 2022 or I don't know the timeline of it, but I stopped it three or four months before we tried to get pregnant. And then um, in that time, instead of being on methotrexate and Humira, I was, I was given an option to start um, to keep Humira because that one's safe for pregnancy too. But Simdia is one that is proven. They have a lot of studies behind it that it doesn't cross the placental barrier. So it's a little bit more studied, not necessarily safer, just more studied. So um, I decided to switch to that one. I didn't, I didn't know if it would be great. And so that was kind of a hoop to jump through too. No, like I didn't know if it would push me back a little bit too. There's always that nerve wracking thing when you change meds. It's like, is this going to help me or is this actually going to make it worse? So ended up switching and Simzia has actually been the best med that I've been on so far. I don't know, you know, there's a lot of changes with pregnancy and stuff. So I don't know if it's like the changes with pregnancy combined with the Simzia or if it's the Simzia that's the best thing. But for right now, I'm on Simzia and that's kind of the story of my journey. I guess I did leave out, I took Otesla, it's a pill before the methotrexate. So I wasn't on nothing, but I wasn't on something that was working in the very beginning. So I don't know that that's helpful to know because yes, yeah, sometimes like in, in my pregnancy, 2013, 14, that was back before we had all the data that's available now on the, on the safety of many of the biologics. So I ended up going off Remicade after the first trimester and then bef and being unmedicated because I was in remission. Um, but, but yeah, so the medication decisions around pregnancy are really, are really tough. I had switched methotrexate for Imurian at that time. Okay, yeah. Um, but I'm going to link in the, sh in the notes, just for those of you who might be, you know, having more questions about medication safety during pregnancy, that there's some great guidelines from 2020, from the American College of Gynecology, uh, the College of Rheumatology, not gynecology, <laughs> on, on the uh, rheumatic disease and reproductive health. And also Mother to Baby is a really oh, great God. website, which I'm sure you know. Yeah. Yes. I like, that is like such a good resource to have when you're planning pregnancy, when you're in pregnancy, um, just because, you know, you do, I did flare during pregnancy too. And I didn't know anything like the first time I've ever been pregnant. So I was like, I don't know about like Tylenol, ibuprofen, it like goes through all that stuff. So like things that you can take, and you can obviously ask your rheumatologist too, but it is nice to have that resource there. Yeah, super helpful. And I uh, appreciate you sharing earlier about the hesitancy to start methotrexate. I remember you saying before, since you had worked as a nurse in oncology, I think that does give you such a unique perspective, you know, because you've seen these drugs being used in such a more severe case. Yeah. You know, I always like to bring that up too, because the, the dose difference, like that when the FDA approved methotrexate, it approved it as a chemotherapy. And so the side effects were the side effects at that high dose. And I always like to give this, like, I remember one day I was at work and this is when I worked on the stem cell transplant unit. And um, I believe it was for uh, CNS, like central nervous system lymphoma. I was giving methotrexate. I looked at the bag and this is when I just first started methotrexate. I looked at the bag and the dose was something like 16,000 milligrams. And so we take, we take 7.5 to 25 milligrams. That's my I memory yes. I'm not sure if it's exactly but mm -hmm. 7.5 to 25 milligrams so the difference there that the when it was approved for arthritis the FDA didn't really clarify that like those symptoms that they list are not 
things that you're going to see that much at the 7.5 to 25 milligrams. This is like, this is like 16,000. That is so much more than what we see for, for that. So yeah, I was a little nervous just because I had, I, that's the only experience I had had with that, but totally. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I know you've done some great work on social media, like educating people that like at these doses, methotrexate is not technically chemotherapy. Um, although it's the same medication that at higher doses is chemotherapy. So one of those many paradoxes of rheumatology. Yeah. yeah. <gasps> it reminds me too of like, you know, we take ibuprofen and we take Advil, but we don't take 16,000 milligrams. If you yeah. take that, your stomach's going to start bleeding. You know, it's like, <laughs> we're going to yeah. have those big symptoms, anything in, in a too high of a dose isn't good. So, Yeah. Well, th- thank you so much for sharing. I know, I feel like we should do a separate episode all about like the pregnancy. Yeah, and I'm postpartum. I know people have so many questions on that, but for time's sake, I'll uh, check in now with Ananthi. What has, uh, and we've actually have already done one follow-up since 2020, but you mm-hmm. know, go ahead and share whatever you want from, you know, your treatment journey. Okay. So when we had our first, when we first did this panel, I'd only just been diagnosed um, a couple of months earlier um try to think I think it was during the summer July August we did this catch up perhaps um so I would have been diagnosed March April but because of the pandemic there was a huge delay everything was closed so I didn't actually get to see a doctor until the very end of June so I think on this panel I'd probably been on methotrexate for about less than a couple of months at that stage um I'm still on methotrexate but there has been a roller coaster, as I like to call it, the roller coaster of methotrexate in between. So um, I was given a set dose at that point. I was on 15 milligrams. Um, after a few months, I noticed that it was affecting my one of my liver enzymes. So as a reminder, when you're on methotrexate, you have those regular blood tests, which they're there for a reason. Um, so you're looking at your like, inflammatory levels, your full blood count, um, like red, red blood cells, white blood cells, your liver enzymes and your kidney enzymes. So one of my um, liver enzymes were was steadily creeping up um, to a point where it got flagged up with the doctor. And I was um, I'm a science geek, so I was tracking it as well. On, I was making my little graphs. Um, but yes, so it got to a point where it 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 got to a level of concern. So I was asked to come off methotrexate for two weeks and have another blood test. In that two weeks, everything completely reset. So the liver went completely back into normal, which was amazing. Um, and then I started on a lower dose. So I went from 15 milligrams to 10 milligrams, and that's what I was doing. So generally with methotrexate, kind of a slow, it's a slow burner. Um, so you don't really know what it's truly doing until about three to six months, I think. So I was told to give it that chance. I was told to try it three months um so I was having my bloods monitored regularly over that time period my liver was happy absolutely fine um for the first three months pain levels my joints were fine but by the six month mark the pain started creeping up again so there is one other dose in between 10 and 15 so it's 12.5 so those are the that's five, five of the little tablets um so that's what I was given and since then, that's what I've been on. However, earlier this year, uh, February, March, I got a very big wrist flare, which just didn't go. It just decided to hang around for quite a bit. So I'm still on the 12.5 milligrams, but they have added sulfasalazine alongside. 
So basically I rattle when I walk because sulfasalazine is like four tablets a day. My methotrexate is five tablets a week. So yeah, I'm a walking rattle, but it's all good. Um, pain levels so far, touch wood, are controlled. Wow. So the sulfasalazine has kind of made up for the, the wrist flare up. Are your wrist is totally okay now? Totally okay now. Yeah. Wow. Um, it was, it was a struggle because it was my, I'm right-handed. It was my right hand. Mm. So it was quite problematic. I couldn't write. Um, driving was a bit of an issue. Um, but yes, that lasted quite a while and it swelled up quite significantly as well. Mm -hmm. But yes, now it's back to normal. Um, but, pain levels are okay. And, and this is a great example, like even just between Jenny and Ananthi that uh, usually the starting medication is methotrexate unless the person's actively trying to get pregnant. And mm -hmm. then it, there's like a chart that the rheumatologist can follow. And it's if this, then that, you know, if methotrexate doesn't work, either they will add another of the traditional DMARS disease modifying antirheumatic drugs like sulfasalazine and Plaquenil, or they will go to a biologic depending on multiple other variables. So we already have kind of two different uh, examples mm -hmm. of it. You can get to the same end goal of feeling better either by adding a biologic or the other. Yes. So in the UK, you need to have two failed treatments before you get put onto a biologic. Mm -hmm. So my my rheumatologist actually said to me oh this will be good because if this doesn't work then you can go into a biologic and I was like wait wait don't say if it doesn't work I want it to work <laughs> but um basically that that's the next step he's already hinted at me if the same thing happens again I I will be able to move on to a biologic mm -hmm. and that's it's similar in the United States and in, in, it, uh, it is more driven by the individual's insurance sometimes mm -hmm. coverage because the medicines are so um, expensive. So yeah, it's a little bit, I know a lot of us feel frustrated about being like, shouldn't the doctor just be able to tell you what they think is the right treatment. But, um, I did, I I'm going to put this in the chat or the, the notes too. There is a, there was a good study I saw that was like 50% of people with rheumatoid arthritis get, get into a good state of disease control with methotrexate alone which that was actually surprisingly large amount to me. And it kind of reminded me that's why they start with just methotrexate because if you can avoid being additionally immunosuppressed, why mm -hmm. not, right? Less medications, less side effects, less money that's charged to the, the healthcare system and all that stuff. So anyway, thank you. Sorry, I have to stop myself from rambling. But um, that's, I mean, I, and I think your example with the liver enzymes is great because a lot of people are so scared of, oh my gosh, what if something happens to my liver? Well, in your case, you did have the liver enzymes go up, but then you were, it wasn't like now lifelong, you have a horrible injury to your liver. It's like, okay, you could, you know, titrate it down and that solved it. So the great, the great thing about the liver is the cells just constantly regenerate. So it can heal, it can heal itself. And it's not your liver enzymes, as you said, can go up, but it doesn't mean you're like permanently damaging your liver mm -hmm. in, in a short time. That's why we get those blood tests. To keep an eye on it so we can spot it early and do something about it yeah super 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 helpful i just recently my doctor changed practices and i was able to look um but her new practice is affiliated with the old one anyway long story short i could see actually my historical data of my liver enzymes and see uh, over the years they've never gotten out of the normal range but they've gone up and down depending on the treatment so anyway yeah. it's fun to do that if you're if you're a nerd <laughs> some of us <laughs> like the charts and the numbers yeah <laughs> Yay. Uh, what about Paulina? 
Hello. Okay. So back then I was on methotrexate, I believe. Um, and then I changed medications twice since then. Um, so um, there came a point where I sort of didn't feel like it was working anymore for me. I It's not that I was completely in a huge flare, but I kept getting mini flares. So I'd have one in my elbow and then my knee and then my ankle would flare up. And they were all sort of simultaneously, all at the same time. But then one would disappear and one would still stay. And then the other one would come up and get a little bit stronger. So clearly my body was not happy and it just kept fighting and it just wasn't really working anymore. So my doctor recommended that I change into Tsimsia. Tsimsia, Tsimsia. And that was such an incredible drug actually for me. And I'm so glad to hear Jenny that you said that it was a, a great experience and is a great experience for you. Because for me, I think my doctor said that I'll need to wait like a month or so to feel its effects really kick in. But I don't know if it's a placebo effect or whatever it was. But literally after the second week, I already started feeling better. And I was like, is that even possible or am I just making this up? <laughs> no, I've heard that before. Some of them can literally be a week. I think the doctors don't want you to get they don't want to get your hopes up that you might be, but it, it can happen. It's incredible. I'm so glad you had that. If you have ever felt completely lost or utterly alone while trying to navigate real life with rheumatic disease, listen up. I am here for you. I created an educational program to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported and connected in a matter of weeks. And it's called Room to Thrive. After earning a master's in occupational therapy and completing hundreds of hours of additional training, I created a step-by-step -step guide to help you truly thrive with rheumatic disease. This is the only program I know of that's designed to improve quality of life for people living with inflammatory autoimmune forms of arthritis, like rheumatoid arthritis, psoriatic arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis, non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis, Sjogren's disease, and more. During the self-paced lessons, you'll learn how to manage pain and fatigue, cope with stress, navigate relationships, and continue doing the things that matter to you and bring you joy. The goal is really to help you improve your quality of life and learn how to thrive with your rheumatic disease right now, rather than waiting for a distant day when it might be cured or healed. I really created the down-to-earth, practical, heartfelt resource I wish I had had when I was first diagnosed at age 20. If you want even more in-depth support, you can join the 12-week Room to Thrive virtual support group where you'll be surrounded by people who actually get what you're going through. People who will provide the encouragement, validation, and support that you deserve. Each group is expertly moderated so you don't have to worry about the kind of misinformation that spreads like wildfire in the free-for-all social media groups. If you're on the fence, don't just take my word for it. Here's what Katie had to say in March, 2023. I was lost and overwhelmed with my RA diagnosis. It felt overwhelming to know what to read, what to do, how to spend my energy trying to research on the internet. Room to Thrive did that for me. It's been like getting a crash course in my diagnosis along with a community who gets it. To see all the details, including the dates for the next support groups, go to the link in the show notes or bit.ly slash thrive room with a capital T in capital R. 
You can also just email me anytime at info at myarthritislife.net. And don't delay if you're interested because each group is capped at 16 people or less in order to make a small, intimate group atmosphere. Thanks so much for your time. And I can't wait to get started with the next groups. And I can't wait for those of you who are interested in the self-paced option to go ahead and join that at any time. Bye-bye for now. Yeah. Um, so, so that was a bit of an experience, um, like exciting and great to see my body improving and see that I'm feeling a little bit better. Um, and then I reached a point where I was sort of okay. However, I gained a flare up, to be honest, I don't even know if it was a flare up pain and discomfort in an area of my body that I never got any pain in. And now that I say it out loud, I think that in our panel, I even mentioned that my back I've never had any problems with my spine I think I even mentioned that and I guess I sort of missed it because when I started on Chimsia I started having really bad back pain and I'm saying this with like little air quotes because it wasn't necessarily back pain it was one specific area of my vertebrae towards like mid upper back and it was so uncomfortable that there were movements that I couldn't do with my body as if I had a disc dislocation or like a popped up disc to the point that it was taking my breath away so like it the pain was radiating and I'm showing this because it's weird to to say this out loud but like it was at the same level of my rib cage but on my back so when I made specific movements and as I practice yoga regularly I pretty in tune with also like how my body reacts to different movements and stretches I couldn't do a forward fold because when I forwarded my whole upper body forward I couldn't get up anymore it stopped my breath so harshly that I had no idea what was happening and I'm going to mention it now because at that point when that started happening I started um, looking at your stories Ali a lot more with all of your chest situation because I was like what the hell is going on it was the first time that I experienced that sort of pain Um, and I've tried everything I went for MRIs I went for x-rays I went to an orthopedic doctor I went to an osteopath they all moved around they all said there could be some muscle inflammation and, and stiffness but as I do yoga regularly, my back muscles tend to be, they said, okay, it's not just me saying it. They said that my back muscles tend to be okay for like supporting my body and my posture. Um, I'm not on a sit down job. So I don't sit at a computer the whole day for that to impact it. So actually up until this point, I still have no idea what that was. Nothing was coming up on tests. Nobody was able to tell me really what was going on, but I knew something was not right because I literally couldn't get up from a forward fold. I had to squat down to the floor as if I'm like, literally as if my disc just slipped out, but it didn't. Um, I had to squat down all the way to the floor and very slowly with a few breaths go up um, because I couldn't breathe. I, I literally felt that constriction in my lungs and in my chest. So that was really terrifying. And It started really gently to begin with. And then to that point that I'm explaining now, it got over a few months. It's like six, seven, eight months. It progressively got worse. So in the beginning, stretches would help me and I'll feel okay. I could still feel that there was something there, but I was feeling okay. 
And then eventually it got to the point that I wasn't able to do certain parts of my yoga practice because I knew, especially teaching, I knew I'm not going to be able to get up and leave my students hanging because there I am just squatting on the floor. So I had to really adapt a lot of things that I was doing. Um, and because it kept getting worse, obviously I was talking with my rheumatologist during this whole time, seeing different doctors, trying different things like warm and cold, massage, physiotherapy, all sorts of stuff that I possibly could, um, and different yoga practices with my own therapeutic knowledge. Nothing was really helping to the point of getting rid of it completely or like really helping me not make changes in my life to adapt to it. So eventually we came to the decision to change my medication again, because even though all of my other joints were really happy, that one specific area of my body that never, I had never any problems with, all of a sudden just fled. And I changed to Rinbok. I spoke to Lali a few times about this medication already. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of up and down stories about Rinbok as well. And I have to be honest, I had a really good experience with it. And there's a reason why I'm saying had, and I'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> um, I had a really good experience with it. So all of my other joints stayed happy. My back sort of started getting better, but not really fully. So I could still feel that there's something weird going on, but it wasn't taking my breath away. I just had to be a little bit more careful with my movement. Um, and yeah, so then it just got better, steadily got better. And then I got to a point which Cheryl, you asked us before we even started this recording, I think, if our uh, journey was linear. So I, I guess from that point, I could say like my journey started becoming a little bit more linear because I was feeling fine. Nothing was really happening. Um, and the reason why I said I had good experience with Renbok is because, and I just checked my calendar, on Friday this week, and now we're on the 22nd of November, on Friday this week, I'm going to be six weeks in remission, unmedicated remission. And it like literally gives me chills as I think about it because I got to such a good point where I said to my doctors, like, you know what? I just want to try. Like I've done it before. My body's done it before. I just want to try. Like if it doesn't work, I'll go back on it. It's And she said, it's completely fine with Renbok to go back on it if I feel a little flare coming back. And I was like, Do you know, what? I just want to try. And actually, it's going to be six weeks now that I'm I'm great. I'm fine. Oh, my gosh. That is definitely not a linear story. <laughs> but that is so I don't I know so few people whose stories are linear. But I mean, I'm that is I'm so glad you're doing well. And I think it is like whenever I hear about these mystery illness, mystery symptoms like the the back um the vertebrae the chest it just it's like an itch in me that I need it's like it's like why 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 you know it's so hard to cope with that not knowing why but clearly the fact that you did better once once you started the Rinvoke it was was it pretty immediate or pretty um, no it was very gradual so I sort of because the pain in my back was at its peak um, I guess I noticed the effects of that going down quite fast, but it was still lingering. And now I can say that that spot in my back, there's specific movement that when I do it, it clicks every time now, wow. but it doesn't hurt anymore. 
And it's been a few months since I had that extreme moment of my breath being taken away by pain. And it's actually, when I say this out loud, it, it makes me, I guess, think a little bit weirdly of myself because I would go so long, a few weeks without doing that movement to not initiate that pain because I sort of knew what movement creates it. But then after a few weeks, I would get curious and I'd be like, is the pain gone? Let me just try it out. So then I'll do that movement <laughs> just to see like what's going on. So there are times now in the past six weeks that I've done it a few times as well since I've been in unmedicated remission to try it and I'm okay. Like it clicks. I can feel sort of like a stretch happening, but it's not radiating to my ribs or my lungs or the front of my body anymore. So I it was gradual, but sort of not because I could feel the effects of it pretty fast, but it was still sort of lingering there. Wow. And I think, you know, we, if you have more than one variable in your life changing at any time, then there's always this, is it this, is it that? Like, did you have an injury? Was it the rheumatoid arthritis? Do you have ankylosing spondylitis too? Cause that tends to affect the vertebrae more and you can have both. Is it, you know, just some random cell in your body went rogue is it the medication not working is it stress I'm always like is it is it stress is it I didn't sleep well is it is it food like you could go down that rabbit hole forever um and and so it's always nice when you get some clarity at least like okay it either was destined to go on this trajectory of getting better or most likely because it was so soon correlated that it was from the medication change so Whew, that's, that is, that's exciting to me that you're doing well now. I'm just like, glad we're capturing this moment in time. Um, and I want to check in with Allie too, before we go into like a, um, we'll have more of like a back and forth conversation with the whole group, but Allie, what has been, I know it's going to be hard to condense your journey, uh, but yeah, whatever you want to share, the, whatever you want to share. I'm the, I'm the auntie of arthritis. So my, yeah. my journey is very long, um, but I will try to make it short. I've been on seven different treatments. So, um, but just to recap, uh, before 2020, when we did this podcast, um, even though I've been on several different treatments, methotrexate has always been the linear one. I've always had it. I'm actually coming up on my eight year anniversary of being on it. Um, so it's been a journey, but so I actually, just like Jenny, I put it off as well. I, um, I was getting my knee drained every um, week for seven weeks in a row. And for those seven weeks, I was unable to walk. So I was using like crutches, a cane, a wheelchair assistance at the airports because it was Christmas time. And um, my doctors were draining, different doctors were draining my knee because I was in denial that I had RA, uh, even though I had got diagnosed like six years before that. But so I put it off because of that, you know, that scary low dose of chemo, even though it's not. Um, you know, thing, and then all the side effects. So I kept putting it off, putting it off. And finally, by the seventh draining, my doctor was like, I refuse to drain your knee right now, unless you start methotrexate tonight. And I was like, copy that. I will like, go ahead, drain my knee. I need to do this. Um, it was actually the day I got my cat Cooper too. So it came at a perfect time. But I was on methotrexate and it was doing well um, up until 2019. So the year before we did the podcast, um, my disease skyrocketed. Uh, I think it's called the Vectra test. Is Am yeah. I right? Um, Vectra, yeah. yeah. Yes. And so it went from, I think, 15 to like 60 something. And um, yes. And they were like, whoa, this is, this is not great. But um, I was doing okay. Like 
Um, my knees weren't so fantastic, but I thought I was okay. But because of that, we started Enbrel injections. So when we did the podcast in 2020, I was on methotrexate tablets, 25 milligrams, because I've never been able to go down um, this whole time. So I was on 25 milligram tablets and Enbrel injections. And then that at Thanksgiving, wow, exactly that Thanksgiving, um, right after our podcast, um, I went to the doctor and I was like, hey, I'm doing great, except for I can't squat. And I can't really sit. And she was like, mm, that's not great. You have fluid in both knees. And I'm like, oh, wow. So um, we found out I developed antibodies to Embril. And then we switched me to Humira, the sister drug. And so I was still on the tablets, 25 milligrams. And oh, actually, at that time, after the podcast, I decided to lower it. This is why I can't ever lower it. So I lowered. I was like, oh, look at me. I'm lowering methotrexate. I'm going to do this. I think I went down to 10 milligrams. I was all excited until I couldn't sit. And, um, and then they were like, we're going right back up to 25 milligrams. I was like, cool, whatever. Humera was a lot of fun. Um, however, just like Paulina with her back, um, and I definitely talked about this in 2020, but I've had chronic chest pain coming up for nine years now and it's undiagnosed. I'm trying to get in the process of getting it diagnosed and getting really aggressive about it. But yeah, nine years of chest pain that feels like a heart attack. And um, for a second, I got my dates wrong, and I thought maybe methotrexate had something to do with it, but I had the chest pain for a full year before I started methotrexate, so it's good to know that's not the case, in case anybody's wondering, because a lot of people are like, it might be the methotrexate. It's not. Um, and so um, the Humira wasn't doing enough, and so I started the lovely infusion. So I did infusions, and it was a biosimilar to Remicade um, called Azvola. So at this time, they thought I had pericarditis, which is quite common in RA patients. It's fluid around the heart. Um, just like we get fluid around our joints, you can also get fluid around the heart. So they thought I might have pericarditis. And so before the testing, they were like, we're throwing you into infusions, and we're going to switch you to methotrexate injections. And I was like, well, great, because I hear it's a lot better to do the injections than the tablets. However, I got through like seven years of taking 20 five milligram tablets and was fine I I mean I, I mean it's not fine please it's actually not fun you get the side effects you know like you get um nausea headaches and the brain fog is crazy but I was okay I wasn't like vomiting or having so such bad nausea I couldn't function but started the injections and that was about a year ago when I started the infusions I have trivial amounts of pericarditis which is basically nothing um so it's not pericarditis we're still not sure what it is but after going on infusions, I was like, this isn't doing anything. So I, and I'm also, I started traveling, like I said, in the beginning of this video, I'm traveling right now and infusions are very difficult to do on the road. I tried, but it's not easy. So I actually met with an out of network doctor cause I'm in the U S. And so, um, I was like, let me just try this out of network doctor in New York. And she was fabulous. And I told her, I was like, Hey, I've been on methotrexate for eight years now. And I would love to go off of it. Just because like the brain fog is so severe with me and I'm a personal trainer and I would be training group class and I would forget the word squat. I was like, I just don't want to live like this anymore. I don't mind the nausea, the headaches, whatever. It's just the brain fog is so incredibly bad that I, I just, I just want to see if I can go off. I just, I just, I've been on 25 for eight years. And when she, when she heard that, she was like, I never put patients on 25 milligrams. And I was like, what? She's like, yeah, I only do 20. And I'm like, you know what? I probably would function just fine on 20. Um, so it was really interesting to like hear that. Uh, of course, I'm sure if your, her patient's really bad, she would go up. But I was like, well, that's nice because one of the doctors I had who I loved was kind of just pushing more drugs on me. So after the podcast, Embril failed. I did Humira. I did Asvola. And then I started uh, Rinvoke. 
and gabapentin. Gabapentin is my least favorite drug of all time. Uh, that's a whole other podcast. But the Rinvoke was just not doing anything. And I, for, I would forget to take it. So, Pauline, I don't know how you do it. But I, I wouldn't take the pill every morning. I tried, but I was just not doing well. And I never thought I would say that I miss infusions. Like I ne- But I was really not sticking to the pill. And anyway, I was, like, kind of getting these, like, I was breaking out, but not with acne. It was, like, weird spots on my face. And I got two cold sores in the span of a month. And so if you're on cold sores, maybe Rinvoke's not for you. But because um, I get them. But anyway, um, my doctor was like, let's get you off methotrexate. And she didn't like try to push me back. She was like, okay, let's do it. And it was the first time that a doctor said that. Usually they're like, no, you can't. You can at least lower, but you're not going off of it. And I'm like, so excited. So I'm starting a 17.5 this Saturday, which I'm super excited about. Um, I did have fluid in my knees last Sunday for the first time in a long time. And I was starting to get discouraged, but it's gone. Thank goodness. And, and because I'm going off the methotrexate, she started me on Arencia, which is an injection. I always get Arencia and Simzia mixed up because they sound the same. But I started Arencia, and I've been on it for two months now, and the only side effect is it makes me jet-lagged. But I'm very excited to go off methotrexate, but I've only tried to go off it once before, and it didn't work. So just fingers crossed that my knees don't fill with fluid, and that's my journey. Wow. And I think, you know, it, even Ananthi's story is a testament to even small changes in the methotrexate dosage can have a big effect. So maybe let's say for you, you get down to like 12 and a half and you're like, wow, I don't even notice my brain fog right now. And I'm having the positive benefits on my joints. So um, first of all, and I know that your your chest pain has been, I know just from following your stories and um, on social media, like really severe. And so I'm First of all, I'm just glad that you've been able been here with us today to share your story. And I know we both have had um, something called costochondritis, which is a little bit of like a, it's a very, it's not like a condition that is, how would you say it? Like definitively diagnosed. It's just kind of like, if they don't know why else you're having chest pain, it's it, costochondritis means like inflammation where the rib cage meets the sternum, usually on the right side. Um, and it can be associated with one of these rheumatic diseases, or it can just be its own little thing. But, um, but I, I just know, I just really, I feel for you and anyone who has that, um, any chest pain, because it is so scary to have that experience. And then to be told, well, it's not, it's not your heart, but then you want to go, you don't want to be do the, the one time when you're like, it's not my heart. You don't want to actually be your heart. So it's better safe than sorry. So anyway, that's a side note, but, um, but, and I've had, I've been on Arencia. I will just quickly, quickly for the people who might be like, Cheryl's not telling what she was on. So 2020, I think I was still on Arencia and methotrexate. I've been on methotrexate. I'm actually on 25 milligrams. Um, I think just because I've had it now for 20, uh, 20 years. So I've been on methotrexate um, at various doses for, for, 20, for the whole 20 years, except for pregnancy. But then um, I was on Arencia and then that started, I started getting more joint pain, especially the morning stiffness. And so switched to Actemra for a couple of years and then switched now to Zeljans, which is an, an oral um, JAK inhibitor. And uh, and, 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 and Paulina mentioned you had acne on Rinvoke. I've definitely found that each med has its own little proclivity for side effects. Like I was on, I had more acne on a rent or on Actemra and then on, um, on Remicade, I got sinus infections and on Embril, I got like fungal infections. So it's just kind of funny. Each one is different, but, um, but so, you know, all of us, you could see, these are not like, these are not boring stories. These are not like, I just did this and it was better. So I'm curious to just throw it out to whoever might want to share. Um, how have you 
coped with all the ups and downs or what what have you found helpful in coping with these uncertainties? Someone just asked me in the Room to Thrive support group this morning, actually, before this recording, someone said, how do I plan my life when I don't know how I'm going to feel in like months or years? And that's just such a hard, I know you can't answer that, but how do you cope with that? Um, yeah all of that. How do you cope with, with life? <laughs> help me now. Help the audience. <laughs> Any pointers? Therapy? Anyone else going to therapy? Okay. Uh, me. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> I, like, I think therapy, I, I think everybody should go to therapy personally, but it's just like the best thing ever. But I think a lot of the times in life in general, like we try so hard to control, like, especially me, I have baseline anxiety. Like it is, it's just a struggle. I, try to control so much of like what like I don't know what happens in my life but we're really not in that much control in to begin with so one of the things that when I was having a really hard time in the beginning I have switched therapists throughout too but like the the first time I met the therapist I have now I was like early in my pregnancy I was so nervous like just that I was going to mess something up you're not in control it's a situation where you can't really control it how it goes so similar to the the arthritis but she gave me like a toolbox and I remember like it's so helpful to have this imaginary toolbox and it it's like you come up with things that you can do when you're feeling anxious because like really what it is is you have to control the feelings of the anxiety of being out of control um at least for me and so it's like she gave you this cool invisible toolbox that like for each level of anxiety that you have, because you know, when you're, when you're really like mildly anxious, you can sit down and like read a book. It's not too bad. Like you can focus on something, but then when you're like extreme anxiety about something, you really need to like, for me, it's, I need to move. I need to do something like I need to get out of the house. I need to. So we came up with like different things at these different levels of anxiety that I could do. I don't know. And I thought it was the coolest thing because it was like, it seems so obvious, but if you actually sit down and like, think these things through and have them out and like you could even write it down then when you're in that situation you're not like oh what could I do like at this point it's like oh I already thought this through at a time when I could think type of thing oh that's beautiful like that's such a helpful idea I at the um, pediatric clinic where I used to work at we would help kids make these we make them out of these like um like the McDonald's Happy Meal boxes, but you can buy them on Amazon, just, you know, a set of like 20, you know, takeout containers. And you would, yeah, you would put, decorate it and say my toolbox and put all the coping tools in there, like affirmation cards or yeah. like squeeze balls for- Or like the feeling, like I know when people, sometimes when you're really anxious, if you feel different textures, it like grounds you back into, because I feel like largely like this is like, we're being handed cards that we didn't ask for like we just got this hand and it's so unfair and it's so just like I don't know it's like you can do everything right and you still end up with these cards that you didn't want and you have to play them and so but it can be really like anxiety provoking to like well I know these aren't good cards and a lot of people have better cards than what I'm holding right here you know but it's like dealing with those big feelings is, is something that I found that is really hard but that's where it that's where it's at for me it's like yeah. I appreciate your insight about anxiety so it took me so long I I tried to convince my therapist that I was really good at controlling things so it wasn't a problem so you can imagine how much fun they had trying to explain I'm like no but I'm good at control and they're like yeah control works for things that are controllable not everything in your life is controllable but I'm like but what if I try really hard 
<laughs> that's something to speak to like with it overachiever too you're like well if I just do if I do what I've always done and like just try to overachieve yeah. at this too I'll do it <laughs> and yeah, it's not- it, is, it is really a mindset like that it, it's again not to say that you throw your hands up to the universe and just say oh well nothing I can't control anything it's like finding that balance what you can control you know yeah. finding what in that like there's this larger picture that you can't control but what in it can you and that yeah Exactly. And I, I think there's an analogy with parenting for that. I learned these things for my chronic illness. I didn't start therapy till my son was one years old and I went to therapy. I thought I was going there for postpartum anxiety and postpartum, just feeling like not myself, you know, but I was like, first of all, I, think, I always think it's funny with like, are you feeling loss of pleasure and things that were previously pleasurable? I'm like, I don't know. I didn't have a child a year ago. So I can't com- like, I can't, this is not a comparison. Like my life before was completely different than after having a baby. I don't know if I would have found it pleasurable under some other circumstance. Like it doesn't yeah. make, yeah. Which applies anyway. to arthritis too. Like I didn't have yeah. this before. So it, did I lose pleasure in things or can I just not do anything? Like, I feel like I got everything taken away, you know? Yeah. yeah. Allie, did you want to, you're just, you're just shouting out or you're preach. Yes. Yeah. I feel now that I'm 42, it's also like, is it aging? Like that's, that's on the list now. Am I just getting older? Like I can't compare my life at 42 to my life at 20 pre-diagnosis. Like I'm not going to, that's not the baseline I'm going to return to ever because I'm not 20, you know? So I don't know what a 42 year old feels like who doesn't have rheumatoid arthritis. I'm sorry, Allie, did you want to add to what Jenny was saying about that? Yeah. No, I was just, that made me laugh. She's like, we didn't know <laughs> what this would be like after we get it, you know, like if it, yeah. And it, it makes me laugh too. Like, I don't think we can like do the things that, you know, bring us pleasure, you know, like working out and going on hikes like that. Um, no, that's what I was just laughing at that, but I can second therapy. I just actually started it for the first time. And it's been like, I think it's been a month. Um, and so I thought I, I usually, I could have, I can, I thought I could deal with having a chronic illness and not going to therapy, but I was like, no, ma'am, this is, this is so incredibly hard, especially with the chest pain. Like I actually had to like, I, I quit my job to move, but I thought about it and there's no way I could work at a gym anymore because the pain has gotten so bad. And especially if you're trying to get a diagnosis or the medication's not working and you're just in pain every day, get a therapist, just get, get a therapist. It's, it's great. So, um, working with her, like something I'm doing is, um, because a lot of us, and I'm sure people listening can relate is that we're just so negative all day, just because you're in pain and it's extremely hard to be just to exist when you're in pain all the time. And so like when I got with my therapist, I was like, I just need to learn how to be in pain every day, all day long. Like, I just don't know how to do this. But um, one thing I'm working on this week, and I think it's fun is that taking like taking 10 to 15 minutes to really feel those feelings, like feel sorry for yourself, be pissed off, like get angry, like, cause we're on Instagram and we see a lot of like just positivity and stuff, but like, just take time to feel those feelings and like punch a soft pillow. She was like, make sure it's soft and she's like, like get, the, get all of it out. But, um, so I've been doing it and it feels really good. And it also feels really good to talk to you guys. Cause you guys get it and all the listeners get it. So, uh, but yeah, therapy, please, please, please. And if I think of something else, I'll let you guys know. Well, I think you yeah, are touching on therapy and social connectedness, like, like on, so I know all of us met on social media and there is this feeling, I think one thing that almost unites everyone I've ever met with a chronic illness is that at some level, we feel like everyone else has it figured out and we don't, even if all day long I scroll through and I see other people at some point, I will feel alone in my journey. So the antidote is to actually not just 
kind of passively watch other people's experiences, but also actually get to know people truly like, like we've been able to do. Um, so anyway, preach into the choir here, but Anandi, what would you add to this discussion? <laughs> yeah, I, I wanted to add in actually the four of you plus uh, Kristen, who was on the original panel, you played a, all of you played a massive part in me coming to accept my diagnosis. And it was, it was meeting you guys, honestly, that, um, that saw me through it because like you, you have your friends, you have your family, they're great people, they have your back for everything, but they don't truly understand what you're going through. Like it's, it's hard to explain being in pain every day until you're in pain every day and you feel it yourself. Um, but yeah, it was, yeah, def definitely you guys, you, you helped so much because I actually started my social media for selfish reasons in order to what well, in order to find people like you but I couldn't imagine finding what I found right um so yeah it's 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 been unreal and I'm very grateful for the people I've met along the way because everyone's journeys like just listening to you guys you've all been through so much but and you're all still going through so much but all of you are smiling you're positive you're living a life you've you're doing so well and it's it's so inspirational honestly yeah thank thank you for for sharing that also and shouting out Kristen brogan who she's not very active on social media currently i think she made that conscious choice for her own you know anxiety and and quality of life um issues but not issues but her own decision that what was right for her quality of life also i want to give a shout out to ashi who had the idea initially to bring this group together so i did because i was the only one that had a podcast i was like at the time I was like, okay, well, can I just put this out on a podcast as well as YouTube? Because I noticed how many people, this is my number one video on YouTube, the 2020 methotrexate panel. And it's because of, you know, there's something so powerful about people sharing, sharing their truth, sharing their stories. And so Anante, thank you for um, sharing that. And I think it really, yeah, there's so many things that are just beautiful about that. Paulina, did you want to add? Yeah, just a little side note before I go on to what I wanted to say. I still have people messaging me after watching that YouTube video or listening to that podcast episode. And it's so incredibly heartwarming to know that there's something out there for people that it's not like we're just giving them information and sharing our life, but they feel so comfortable to reach out to us. And it's just like, I mean, yeah, we are humans and we're, our messages are open to everybody and we just want to talk and share. And Ananthi, thank you for everything you just said, because that just made me literally melt into my seat with like warmth and love. And that just felt really nice. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think when we just going back to your initial thing of how I cope with this change and, and uncertainty, everything that has already been said, I would say that again and maybe double it again. Therapy is like is such a huge one. I've been in therapy for a few years. I've just started a new therapy, actually. So I went from talking therapy, which helped me a lot in finding my toolbox and recognizing my needs and learning how to feel my feelings to now going into somatic therapy, which actually works from the body first. So it's tuning into the sensations in the body and then working my way up from them because I feel like with the talking therapy and my toolkit and my mindset and my mental health in general, it's sort of at a really good place. And I've, I know how to help myself, 
but I know that the body holds on to so much and it's nice to have a different sort of therapy now. So a little side note on that. Um, and I don't know why I feel the need to share this, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> when it comes to dealing with change and, and you use the example of like planning for the future or, or even planning for tomorrow or planning for next week, I think one of the biggest things that helped me accept that and be okay with that I can still plan and be okay with the fact that the plan might change is sort of not giving a crap about other people as much and like recognizing that if I have to cancel plans it's coming from a place of love and it's not that I don't want to see you or it's not that I don't want to do that so I know that if I cancel my plans and that person is meant to be in my life they're going to accept that and they're going to be okay with that because they're going to understand why maybe the plans is changed the plans are changing so that's more like relating to other people and plans which have happened so much in the past for me and it's a really difficult thing to go through to let go of certain people that clearly were not meant to be there and it's such a hard process but it, it feels so much lighter afterwards because now I've got people in my life that even if I feel great physically, which I do for, I have for a little while now, sometimes mentally I'm not up for it. And mentally I recognize actually I just need to stay at home alone in silence and just be with myself. And I have people in my life now that I just tell them like, look, I want to see you. I love spending time with you, but equally right now I just need to be by myself. So it's really nice to go through that really hard part of maybe letting go of certain people in your life to then find the crew, find the people in your life who are going to accept that and who are going to make it so easy to look after yourself. For me to look after my body, for me to look after my mind, my life and feel okay with it. They're going to be supportive of that just by simply accepting and trusting knowing that there's no like hidden agenda when I cancel or change plans. Um, that's beautiful. Yeah. So that's like one little thing about, I mean, it's easier said than done, right? Not give a crap, but that's sort of like the baseline of it. Um, and when it comes to making plans for myself and my future, where it maybe doesn't relate to other people, I think I practice and learn to be really present. And I, I, this is like such an overused phrase, such a trendy phrase. Let's be in the present moment. Let's be mindful. Like I know, and I, I get that, but there's a reason why a lot of people keep screaming it because it just brings so much nice feeling and it gets rid of that like uncertainty and not accepting the change. So even though I might have goals and plans for the future, I'm also so present and actually loving this moment and what it's bringing and sort of trusting that it's going in the direction that it needs to go into and knowing that, okay, I've handled so much in the past already that whatever I'm going to be handed in the future, even if it's not how I wish for it to be right now, I'm going to manage it and it's going to work out and I'm going to learn how to work through it. So maybe, yeah, not give a crap and sort of learn to be in the present moment let me repeat that phrase again no it's such I really relate to that I 
for me, my, one of the things my therapist pointed out to me is that I am like a good problem solver. So like in the present moment, I spend a lot of time trying to make future Cheryl feel better and feel happier. But if your entire life is always about the future, you're never living in the present, you know? And I mean, I know it's so, it's so sounds so obvious when you say it, but um, when you're in pain, the last thing you want to do intuitively is to live in the present is, and you said a somatic therapy. I remember the first time my therapist tried to get me to do that. I was like, she's like, where's your pain? I was like, it's in my brain. Cause it's like, I'd so intellectualized it that like, I understand that all pain is processed in the brain. And so she's like, okay, but where are you feeling it? I was like, my brain, like I couldn't even like, cause I had so dissociated from my body that like, I couldn't even identify I'm like, okay, well, yeah, the bottom of my foot hurts and my hands hurt obviously, but like, you know, <laughs> wait a minute. Yeah. Like, can I act like, what's the, I was like, what's the point of feeling your pain? But it is, it's like that, which you hold holds you like that. Uh, the more that you think that I can't, I can't think about this. I can't attend to this or be present with this because it's too, it's too scary. Then that is like holding you hostage anyway. So, um, it's, it's easier to said than done when it comes, it's easier to, to explore like somatic therapy when you're in like more mild to moderate pain. I do think like severe pain, I'm, it would be pretty, pretty hard. That's like advanced, advanced levels. <laughs> Allie, and also, um, yeah. So it's like severe pain. Cause that's what I'm feeling. Um, so uh, I've been talking to my therapist a lot about it, about like what happens in the moment when you're having severe pain. So usually you get anxiety cause you're like, I'm going to die if you have chest pain, especially. <laughs> um, and so then usually after the shock of like, Oh my God, this is so painful. Usually your anxiety starts to like, cause we're so anxious about control and like the future. So then for me, and I'm sure a lot of Spoonies, like your brain spirals to, Oh my God, I'm gonna have to deal with this every single day of my life. Like this is awful. Like this pain is so real and it's consuming me and taking over my life. And my therapist said something and I hope this helps you guys, but I kind of like it. My therapist was like, you have no evidence that the doctors are not going to figure this out. Like you have no evidence that they're not going to find a way to help you or you have no evidence that you are going to feel like this in five years, or even next year, like you might be thriving next year, because you don't know, like, you don't know just how like, because our mind thinks like that, you know, like, I'm like, I'm gonna be like this for the rest of my life. There's no way because it's been nine years now. Um, so I liked that. And so I'm latching onto that, like, every time I'm like panicking about the future and like the amount of pain I'm in, and especially for uh, chronic illness warriors who are trying to find that right medication. And like, listen, I've been on seven of them and I still don't have it together. So like you have to, you have to like hold on to that. So always think that they're, it's like the little angel telling you like, you have no proof of this. Don't spiral because you have no proof. You could be better next year. Just keep fighting. So I, I thought that was really cute. I liked it. That's beautiful because it's, it's, it's logically, it is true. Like on the one hand, yes, past performance predicts future, but not always with chronic illness. We could, I talked to these, if you didn't hear this episode, cause I don't blame anyone for not catching every single episode. I talked to two researchers from one of the most prestigious research institutions, like the Benaroya Research Institute in Seattle. They think that there's going to be a cure for rheumatoid arthritis in my lifetime. I asked them that because I'm like, I'm 42. Like I was thinking they were going to say no, because, you know, scientists are always hedging. Like they're always like, well, maybe, maybe they're like, no, we're cl we're getting closer. Like we're pretty close. I'm like, oh my God. You know, so it's so we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And you couldn't cure your rheumatoid arthritis and then get some other horrible thing. You know, you just don't know. So if you spent all your time assuming your futures. Yeah. Anyway, I, I so resonate with that. Good therapist, good therapist. 
and good you for listening. And and because I think for me, my therapist has said a lot of smart things. I didn't always listen initially. <laughs> so that's step two. What's that? What is good to therapy? Step two is I'm like no, but like I I sent uh, I have a different I have I've had two therapists. I sent the um, the male one. I sent him the meme the other day of like from from the Big Lebowski where it's like that's just your opinion, man. I'm like that's what I feel when you when you ever you explain something I don't want to hear. <laughs> But anyway, oh my gosh, I'm just, this has gone by so fast. Um, I so appreciate all of your time. I know we should just keep doing these check-ins, but um, I, if you have time, I would love to also just end on one of my favorite questions to ask every anyone when, we, when I get them on in my captive audience here on Zoom is what are, do you have any words of wisdom or affirmations or just advice you like to give if someone's listening, imagine someone listening right now, they're just fresh, newly diagnosed. Do you have any, like, I'll give you a second to think about it. I, I do, I have a poster above my desk that says we can do hard things. That's just one of my most important mantras and acceptance is not a bad word is what I would like to tell them. Just plant the seed in the very beginning that this is not something to fight or conquer that you can learn to live alongside this and accept like this is your new life when you can still have like a beautiful life with chronic illness. But that's just me. Well, Jenny, you want to go next? I think I have something because when I was diagnosed, like the biggest obstacle for me was the grief, like the grief of like the loss of my old normal and not yet finding a new normal and just kind of existing in this like middle space. And I always thought that like, if I was grieving, then I couldn't also experience like happiness or I couldn't also experience anything else. It was like, it was like mutually exclusive. It was like, I could have this or I could have this, but something that this has really like taught me is that grief and joy and grief and gratitude, like polar opposite sort of feeling things can exist in the same heart and it can exist in the same space. And so I'm learning to hold both. And it's possible to hold both and you don't have to be one or the other because then I feel like it puts this pressure on you to either be, I'm either grieving or I'm happy about this one thing. I can't be both of the things. And that's really how I felt in the beginning. And the grief hasn't really gone away for me. It just kind of has changed in the time. And so it's not an end goal that you're trying to get to. It's learning to hold it. And kind of like you said, with like the the negative like with pain or with a negative emotion the more you stuff it down the more you try to feel like I, I shouldn't feel this I shouldn't like the shouldn't thing like if you I shouldn't this is bad this isn't good it gets louder and it takes up more space and it just like consumes you more and so if you actually like my therapist made up a thing and it's like yeah your anxiety or your grief might come around again this time like whenever if you're going through a hard thing but instead of like boarding up the windows and locking all the doors, I think that this time you could make the bed, the guest bedroom and let it stay for a little while. And yeah, and I really liked that. It was like, okay, we can, we can be friends and I don't have to shut you out to, yeah. That is so profound. I'm gonna put, it, it really resonates exactly with one of the talks I went to at the American College of Rheumatology Conference last weekend by a social worker and an occupational therapist um, who have rheumatoid arthritis. And they talked about how, um, Elizabeth uh, Kubler-Ross, who coined this um, stages of grief, never meant stages of grief to be linear and never meant them to be something that you're just done with at some point. Like they made this huge case, just so you're talking about that grief is something that you're going to experience throughout your chronic illness. And yeah, so 
So true. And it's possible to grieve, to not be done grieving one thing before you get another thing to grieve. Like it's not like you can only have one thing at a time. So yeah. Yeah. I, and I really, I totally, um, I totally uh, appreciate your perspective on like that you can feel joy alongside grief or gratitude alongside grief. I think that's huge. You can still maybe, you know, that it, it reminds me of how, because I've seen so many people come through the support groups that I've run for Room to Thrive that are newly diagnosed. And it, it all depends on the context. The people who like me were desperate for an answer as to why they were in pain and feeling horrible are relieved and happy to get their diagnosis. And then there's the people who, their life was going along fine. And then they just had this one little joint that hurt and all of a sudden they get this diagnosis and they're like, wait, this is horrible. So it's like nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so, you know, from Shakespeare. So anyway, but back, to, sorry, I'm off. I'm off on my chance. This is my liber- liberal arts education. <laughs> this like gets me in my brain going to many directions. But um, does anyone else want to share your words of wisdom, Paulina? Um, so I guess this could be similar to Jenny's, but I somehow thought about it slightly differently, but I relate to, I, I don't think there's anything any one of us would say that I would disagree with. Um, this is just I think, very possible. But what came to me is, I remember at the time of our last panel, um, I was very active on social media in relation to rheumatoid arthritis, and I'm not anymore. And there is a reason for that. I shared it with a few of you, and I think this is something that I want to leave the listeners with, especially if you're newly diagnosed, and maybe even not when you're newly diagnosed, but for anybody really listening. um, The reason why I stopped sharing so much on social media about rheumatoid arthritis is that, one, I think I said that also in our last panel, is that it's not me. It's not just my personality. Arthritis is part of my life and part of my physical experience but it's not me and it started feeling that way that all I was talking about doing preparing listening seeing was just rheumatoid arthritis or arthritis and it's great because we've we've noticed just with this discussion how important this community feeling is and it's it's an important part of it but maybe in safe dosages (laughs) excuse the pun here, but it's just in safe dosages of community as well, to not forget that there is a whole life out there for us as well. Um, And the second reason why I stopped, which I guess can be transformed into a little advice, tip, support, is that it's okay to have other things going on in your life. I struggled to accept that so much when I started not sharing so much on social media. I felt so much guilt that I'm letting down the community, that I'm not sharing every day the pain that I'm having or the way that I've coped with my pain or the tools and the strategies that I've implemented. I felt so much guilt for it. And it took me a little while to come to a place of like, actually, it's okay because I'm still going to show up on my Instagram or social media and share about it when it comes up for me because. My social media is about me and my life. So a lot of that gets shared on there. But it's not just the only thing. And it's okay for me to share other things that are going on for me. There's okay for me to actually even experience other things in life than only or just arthritis related. 
So if you're listening to this and you're hearing that, just take community and take listening to these videos with like a safe, safe way to not, yeah, Jenny just said in the comment, it is definitely possible to get consumed by it. But yeah, to not get completely consumed by it and not forget to live, enjoy and be okay with celebrating that and feeling that joy as well. So yeah, Love that's, that. that's it from me. I what what you were saying really reminded me that uh, of a pattern I've seen for some people that their whole life becomes about controlling their symptoms, whether that's through a lifestyle intervention like nutrition or exercise or meditation or yoga or whatever it is. And you forget that what I, I did this little video the other day that was like just miscellaneous, you know, how having a platform gives you the chance to go on your soapbox. I was like, the point of symptom control isn't controlling symptoms. It's enabling you to have a life that you love, that you like, that is, that that's has a quality of life that's good for you. So like for me, it's, it's about the trade-offs. Like I can eat chocolate and maybe that's making my arthritis worse. Oh, well, I'd rather just eat chocolate. Do you know what I mean? It's just a silly example, but, um, it, there is a toxic kind of impulse in some communities. I know this isn't exactly what you're saying, but it just reminded me of it where it's like, they'll say stuff like you deserve, or you owe it to yourself to do everything you can to control your disease. And I really disagree with that. Like your life is not all about controlling your disease or having perfect health. It's about it be, you know, being present back to the present and having, I mean, all of us are living a life despite chronic illness that by standards of like humans, like 800 years ago would be like, we are freaking Queens. Like the fact that we have all this food we can choose from and all this medical care that we don't die when we're 25. Amazing. Okay. Sorry, Jenny, what are you going to say? Sorry, I'm just going off again. Oh, sorry. I was just thinking too, like when I did get, like, if I, it, it's kind of like social media in general. If you take too much in, it can just overwhelm you a little bit. Um, but I know for me, like I started getting anxious about things. I would see people post and I'm a sponge with anxiety. So I'd see people posting like things that they were anxious about with being on biologics. And I had not had that experience. And I started like taking it in and then being like, oh my gosh, like, well, I'm not worried about this. Should I be worried about this? Am I not worrying enough? Should I be worrying more? I feel like I'm like, you know, so it is possible to fall into that kind of like, I would say borderline toxic space and it exists for sure. And I've showed up differently on social media as well. Like I kind of step back when I need to. And I used to say sorry for it and be like, oh my gosh, sorry, I haven't been on very much. But it's like, everybody here knows you do what you have. You we're all in the same boat. You know, we show up when you can. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You, my mom used to say in middle school and this really stuck with me, although it's still, I, it's still hard to remember sometimes, like you wouldn't worry what other people are thinking about you as much if you knew how little they are, like how they're not always thinking, we're all thinking about each other, you know, or we're, we're all thinking about, about ourselves. ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Ourselves. That's what I meant. Yes. Sir. I'm thinking about myself and I'm, yeah. Yeah. And I feel the same. I totally feel this pressure or pressure to answer everyone's um, messages and stuff. And it's, yeah, it's a lot. Um, Ananthi, what would you add to this? Okay. So first with Jenny about the grief, I saw this really cool thing the other day. Um, it was about, it was about grief and it's that the grief itself doesn't, it's a certain size. It stays that same size. You grow around it. It, it doesn't, the grief doesn't get any smaller. You grow around the grief. And I relate to that whether that's a like you've lost a loved one or you're grieving a past version of yourself um 
yeah, I just thought I'd add that in. Um, Beautiful. Regarding making choices about life, you mentioned chocolate. I still love my chocolate. I will still, um, like I will go on a night out or I'll go to a gig and yes, okay, I have to recover for a couple of days, but do I regret it? No, because I had a great time at the time. So I just, I factor that in. So previously, if I was away for a weekend, like pre RA, RA self, if I'd go away for a weekend, I'd be straight into work on a Monday and be back. But now I know I'll be, the fatigue will kick in. I'll probably be in more pain. So I take a couple of days off. I'll just plan that in, that extra thing. Um, so with like the words of advice in general, um, I'm very much a, um, I'm joining the cliched world, Paulina, um, preach, um, the one day at a time, um, very much one day at a time and making the most and doing the best for that day. So if on, when you wake up, you can like travel a couple of countries, walk around, do everything great. But if on a day your best is you can only move from the bed to your sofa that's fine too that's you're still doing the best that you can for that day and there's nothing wrong with that that's beautiful that's so beautiful oh my gosh we are so full of advice <laughs> this, is, this, this is so great does is there anyone else who wants to say anything else before we wrap up Allie yeah um well Ananti I didn't thank you for saying those kind words about all of us and like using like meeting others to get through it um so I just want to second that like find a community whether it's one person or 10 or a thousand like find your person to vent to because like I said you you just need to talk shit about yourself sometimes listen so you find your person to vent to that and they get it like somebody who's on the same medication as you someone with the same illness as you um and secondly to spoil the shit out of yourselves baby because you deserve it okay a lot of us don't spoil ourselves but we go through so much hell and pain that we absolutely deserve it. So on those hard days, baby, go get yourself a coffee, order yourself something online, like a heated blanket or something. Get very bougie with it. Okay. So I just want to leave you guys with that. Please, please spoil yourself and be so damn proud of yourself. Like Ananthi saying, like going to lay on the couch, be damn proud that you're laying on that couch. Okay. You get up, you go wash the dishes, be damn proud of yourself because it's harder for us to do things. So I just wanted to leave you that. Be proud, find your community and spoil the shit out of yourself. I love you guys. Oh my gosh. I need to rec I need to, well, that's just being recorded, thankfully. So I was gonna say I need to record that. I need to turn that into like a ringtone, like spoil the shit out of yourself or like my reminders um, on my phone. So I have like all these medication reminders. Um, I love it. I love it. No, I really, I live the first like, you know, 15 years of my condition really without having a lot of community. I didn't really connect. I didn't know about all these amazing, you know, online resources, maybe the first 10 years. Uh, I started discovering like the Facebook groups, but I was kind of turned off by them, you know, in the mid 2010s. And then I really think the pandemic accelerated a lot of people as like finding community, finding um, their groups on social media. So anyway, point B, I'm just reflecting myself as being like, I'm like the grandma of the group in terms of like having it for so long, but, um, but realizing that, um, you know, that this is such a crucial thing in my journey has been having, you know, having others to who understand it and who get it. So for anyone listening, you know, um, you will find your group. It may take some trial and error, you know, there are 
certainly groups that have different vibes about them. Um, but so try if you don't, it's like therapy. They always say, you know, you interview a couple of different therapists um, and find a good fit. Same with groups, whether it's a Facebook group or a TikTok account, you know, um, there's just, it, it's exciting that there's, it's so easy nowadays to find others who, who get it. So I just really, really appreciate you all um, for taking the time again to check in. I know um, some of you, we all checked in back in 2020 and then a few, we checked in again in the end of 2021. So it's nice to have this little, well, a little to, well we're building a little time capsule of our, of our uh, chronic illness journey. So I will put everyone's um, social media handles who wants to share them in the, in the show notes, but we'll just say uh, bye-bye for now. And thank you again. Thank you so much. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. Love you guys. Thank you. Bye. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Arthritis Life Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Room to Thrive, an educational program I created from scratch to help you go from overwhelmed to confident, supported, and connected in a matter of weeks. You can go through the pre-recorded course on your own, or you can take the course along with a support group. Learn more at the link in my show notes, or you can always go to www.myarthritislife.net. And if you like this podcast, I would be so honored if you took the time to rate and review it. I also encourage you to share it with anyone you know who might benefit from it. I also wanted to remind you that you can find full transcripts, videos, and detailed show notes with hyperlinks for each episode on my website, www.myarthritislife.net. If you have any ideas for future episodes, or if you want to share your story or wisdom on the podcast, just shoot me an email at info at myarthritislife.net. I can't wait to hear from you.